Welcome to Hot Springs Village Inside Out, a weekly podcast where Hot Springs Village, Arkansas is the star. Join me, Randy Cantrell, and my co-host, Dennis Simpson, as we discuss the history, facts, people, places, events, lots more surrounding Hot Springs Village, Arkansas. Visit the website at hotspringsvillageinsideout.com. and welcome back to another episode of Hot Springs Village Inside Out with my host and co-host, Mr. Randy Contrell. Randy? Hey. Is it good and warm in Dallas? Uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's pretty good. Toasty warm, toasty warm. Toasty. And the guy we've been trying to snag for quite a while, Mr. John Paul, who is the general manager of the POA, who has so much legacy. I'm dying to ask him a bunch of questions. Uh, have at it. Uh, <laughs> inter- interim general manager. <laughs> interim general manager. I've never seen a guy want to lose a position more in my life. <laughs> you you can't wait to get rid of this, right? Oh well, no. We're I'm kind of enjoying it right now. It uh, it uh, keeps me busy. Does that's, it now? That's good at my age. Stay busy. Your wife told me it keeps you out of the pool halls and the bingo alleys. Is that right? Yeah, and not necessarily in that order. <laughs> I was going to say real quick, for those those joining us that don't know, John Paul is the general manager, and we're going to ask a lot of questions about how we got here and how we came this way, but this is your second time as interim general manager. Is that correct? Yeah, somebody said yesterday, this is your second stint. I said, yeah, you, but don't say stint to an old person. <laughs> well, I, I really don't know where to start. Tell me, John Paul, where did you start? How did you find the village? How did you get here? Tell me about your golf days, all this stuff. Wow. Um, well, I, I was talking to Randy earlier. I lived in Dallas for forever. I went to school there and, and, uh, I was I'm born in Amarillo and I went back to Amarillo for a couple of years, but spent most of my time in Dallas and, uh, I refereed, uh, basketball and I refereed college basketball for about 12 years. And in that time, we used to have a camp in the summertime up at Jonesboro, up at Arkansas State. And one of the uh, guys that was trying to break into college basketball that came to the camp was a salesman for Hot Springs Village Real Estate. Really? And, and yeah, and I'd never heard about the village. This was in 84. Yeah. And uh, uh, he... Uh, said, why next year? He said, when I, I'm coming back to camp next year, he said, why don't you come to the village for a couple of days ahead of time and uh, play golf, and then we'll go up to the camp. And so we took him up on it, stayed at Los Lagos and played uh, DeSoto and, and Balboa. I think Balboa had just been built, really, in, in 85. The village stopped at Ponce. Uh, there was a dirt road past that, and and uh, even if it was even a road. But uh, Lake Balboa had just been built, and uh, we bought uh, a lot because of that, just so we could come up and play golf. And I don't even know where that lot is now. Uh, <laughs> but uh, that was my first experience to the village. And uh, I was in the sporting goods business uh, besides refereeing. Uh, basketball and uh, had my own stores in Dallas. And in 92, um, one of my fraternity brothers, we were on vacation at the Lake of the Ozarks and he was Hale Irwin's brother-in-law and they had just started building courses and they had bought a couple of courses and, and opened one in St. Louis and they were complaining about management. They didn't have any experience managing it. And I said, uh, don't kid around because I've said, I'm ready for something else to do next chapter. And so I went to work for him and we wound up running uh, 13 courses in, in eight States and, uh, worked for Hale for, oh, I guess probably eight years. And then, uh, they sold out to a, a public company and looking for something to do. And I told my wife, I said, look, we like the village. Let's just move to the village and I'll figure out what to do. And I said, they don't know it, but they're going to need to turn it, uh, run it like a business. And they don't know it, but they're probably going to need somebody. Well, within seven months, they went out for a director of golf 
And the next thing I said, they won't believe that the person they need already lives here. And, <laughs> and that's how I got to the village and took the job in, in 97, uh, Thanksgiving of 97, and then stayed for 16 years as director of golf. Wow. Randy, you got to, because this, this is the Randy Cantrell story, if I'm not mistaken, or it's going to be right. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, not the, not the golf and the sport, but coming from Texas. Yeah. In fact, we were visiting before we hit, hit record and, uh, he was just back here this past weekend, enjoying the traffic <laughs> that, that we have and quickly was reminding himself of why this is not where he wants to be. He's right. Exactly. Exactly where he wants to be. Exactly right. My wife considers us on vacation every day. She was a flight attendant for 38 years and uh, she doesn't want to go anywhere. And and I really, I had, I've traveled so much in my life that I don't either. And we love it right here. And literally it is like being on vacation most every day. You, you really do wake up in a resort every morning, don't we? We do. Absolutely. It, it, do. it really is. I have, I've got so many questions, Randy, I don't want to interrupt. Do you have anything no, you go want ahead. to go with? Go ahead. Huh? Okay. No. Uh, so how do you, how do you manage golf services? Is it, is it mostly people management? Is that the issue or tell me the stories? Well, yeah, it is people management, but, but there are things that you need, you need to work at it. There, there's a lot of work when it goes into managing golf courses. And when we took over the golf courses in the village, there were only six golf courses at the time. Isabella hadn't been built. Granada hadn't been built. And uh, they were doing 360,000 rounds a year uh, on six golf courses. Now that where they were averaging 60,000 plus rounds a year. Now imagine that back then uh, on bent grass greens with spikes, there's metal spikes still were in, in play and trying to manage that. And, and, and rounds were taken four and a half to five hours a round back then because they were booked until two thirty, three o'clock in the afternoon in order to do that many rounds on six golf courses. And uh, so well, one of the things we tackled was trying to get play to a reasonable amount to four hours to four hours and 15 minutes. And the village bought into it and we were very lucky and, and were able to do that for the most part, you have, situations where they don't meet that. But uh, for the most part, we were able to keep it on that. And you talk about management. That was one of the things that people were really, were really uh, clamoring for was, was that. And then as far as superintendents go, that's psychology because they're all different. And it's just learning their quirks and learning their weaknesses and, and playing to their strengths and, and helping them out where you can. But it's mostly psychology and, and uh, just general good business management practice, tell them the truth and do the right thing for the right reason. And you'll make it every time. Well, and, and one more question, what did a round of golf cost back when there were six courses, $12, 15 bucks. Uh, <clears throat> I'm trying to think, I think it was, it was uh, when, when I got here, I think a round of golf without the cart was either 12 or $14 around. Yeah. <clears throat> somewhere around in there. And then the cart was only like eight or $9 uh, on, on above that. And the cart fee is still the lowest there is, I think maybe in the country here really? uh, with, uh, with our cart fees, but uh, it's very reasonable. I know the frat committee just put out a comparison email yesterday of golf at all the other facilities around like it. And we were very competitive with, with uh, all of them. Yeah. I saw that it had great numbers on the, on the, uh, the cost of water. And I mean, it, that was a very, very co comprehensive and I, I like seeing Teleco village and all the others. And right. you know, I, in many ways it compares in many ways it doesn't because I mean, we're not a city per se, you know, but at the same time, it, it really does have a lot of parallels. Let me ask. And, and Randy, I keep coming back to you because I imagine you're full of questions here. I'm, I'm getting there. <laughs> okay. Okay. Going. Well, then I'm going to, I'm going to keep peppering him if we can then. Yeah. Keep going. Keep going. So, <clears throat> Tell me more about, I've, I've used the analogy and correct, literally correct me if I'm wrong. I've used the analogy that from 1972 ish to 2006 with Cooper and, and the POA, it was a very symbiotic relationship that, you know, one end of the building was Cooper and the other end was the POA. And they would say, well, here, go, go over there to get your trash picked up and go over there to sell your lot or whatever. Would you expound on that? I mean, because, you know, did Cooper tell you how much the golf was going to charge or did they just suggest what it should be? Or how was that relationship? No, the budget was always left up to the POA and the Cooper didn't get involved with that. Uh, 
Uh, Cooper start, started in uh, 1970, like you said, and, and the beauty of what they did was there was always something new until 2006. So every six years or so, every four to six years, there was a new amenity, a new golf course, a new lake, a new- The, the woodlands. The woodlands, yeah, that's a that's another story by itself. <laughs> but uh, and, and, and but while we're on it, do you know how the woodlands got built? No, I'd love to hear this story. Well, the uh, when Balboa Golf Course was built, um, they used day labor to put in the irrigation system. Cooper built all the courses back then. Well, I think the first year they had. A couple of thousand leaks in the irrigation system. It just, it was terrible and still is. It's still the original irrigation system. And um, Cooper realized that they had made a mistake and they gave the village half a million dollars to fix it. Well, that's how the Woodlands got built. They put the, <laughs> money, they put the money in the Woodlands Auditorium. And that irrigation system has never been fixed to this day. But it will be because that's what the surcharge is being collected for to, get, to redo Balboa, that at some point when we collect enough money, that'll get redone over there. But that's well, the, real the real emphasis of re uh, redoing that golf course is because of the irrigation system. Well, but but I, I, and I think it's funny to note that, uh, that that money was collected and we're not technically a city. But Randy, tell me, does this sound like city government to you that we collect money for something and we don't quite get to it right away? Yeah. In fact, he and I were, were talking as a, as a guy that coaches largely city government leaders, I was asking him, I said, I just want to make sure I understand. And for those of you that are in the audience and don't have, if you're like me, you don't have any experience of living actually in a POA, I conceptually understand it. But so I asked him uh, if it's tantamount to a city government, like here in Texas, he comes from Texas. I'm here in Texas. So you got seven people in the city council, i.e. board of directors, got a professional manager, i.e. a general manager there, whatever the title happens to be here in Texas, a city manager. This is not an elected official. This is a professional manager. This is somebody that is there to do the bidding of the board. They better not have a say in it. They just better say, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. And do the bidding of the board. It's the elected officials who, who are in charge. And. And he confirmed that, no, I, I've got that right. So I, that was good because I was a little bit confused. With all the social media hubbub, John Paul, the, the courses, and I'm not a golfer, but I love them. If, if I can stay at an Airbnb on a golf course, I'm going to. I'm that guy because I just, they're beautiful. I love looking at them. I, I enjoy watching the golfers. For those people, for critics that might say, well, the golf isn't what it used to be. Help me understand what that's all about as a non-golfer. Well, I think for the most part, uh, it, it, it's better than it used to be, depending on when or where you go and how far back you go. But all the courses, except for Balboa, have been redone on time. And uh, we redid DeSoto. We redid Cortez. We redid some, uh, some of the uh, Magellan. Ponce is going to come up on a redo here in about five years, probably, but Balboa will be in the next two. Uh, but they've been kept up. The only kept up, the only thing that probably isn't kept up the way it should be are the bunkers. And uh, used to that the, um, the USGA would say that every you need to redo your bunkers every 12 to 15 years. Well, there are new new products now out there, and Diamante just put, went through it two years ago with uh, this process uh, called Better Billy Bunker. That they they'll they'll last for twenty five years uh, and uh, drain properly, and and the amount of uh, labor savings is incredible, as well as the the just not being able to have to uh, push them up in the lips and and redo them all the time. Right now. If we get a two, two and a half inch rain, it takes, oh, three days of a full crew to go out there, pump the bunkers and redo them. Whereas with the new systems putting in, it would take a matter of hours to get them done. So the, the labor savings alone. But those are, those are the kind of things that when we fall on deferred maintenance in golf, uh, that's one of the things that we need to tackle. The rest of the golf courses are, are in really good shape and the bunkers are in good shape when we have them work. 
it's just the big rains that 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 we need to get. But getting yeah. back to your question about Cooper, uh, Cooper really let the POA do do the operations part of it and make the budgets. They used to bring people in, you know, uh, in droves to to sell property and look at the place, and and they paid visitor rates to the POA when they brought them in. That's something a lot of people don't realize. They they say that again. They brought in tens of thousands of people a year, oh, yeah. hundreds and, of thousands. And if they played golf. They they paid visitor rates. Oh uh, oh, so the golf visitors paid vis really? I had no well, idea. I'm, no, I'm saying Cooper paid Cooper. The, paid their fare. Really? Uh, yeah, they brought rate. them in for nothing. They put them up and they'd pay their way on the golf courses and, and sell them the lots. That's why they have such a sales record that they did. They, they wind and dine these people. And then in 2006, when they left and that marketing went away, we were left to go out there and fumble for ourselves. And we were not used to doing that as a, as a POA. Plus the recession hit in 2008, which made it even worse. You know, in 2006, when you're talking about Cooper left, 96% of the lots were being paid on. 96%. 96%. Yeah. And since 2006, we're down to about 70 now. So, wow. And, and, and our former chair or former CEO, I guess, Twiggs made a great point and he had some very good points you may not have agreed with everything but he had some good points he said there would be people in the little rock media they would try and 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 tell what was going on and the little rock media would go yeah yeah we we know what's going on in the village and they don't they don't have a clue no idea yeah Yeah. i I talk to people all the time that that never been here they don't know the first thing and they think it's it's only a bunch of gray-haired people playing golf and that's all we do you know and, and it's obsessed with that and that's why one of our, our focuses on marketing is the marketing is the Arkansas uh, area because mm-hmm. we have to market Little Rock because they don't know the village. Yeah, they really well. And, and Mr. Twiggs also made note one time that we were talking about the 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 people that would come in and look and go around, and and the perception was that you know once again we we know the village. Randy, get ready to get out your clicker, buddy. I'm sorry, John Paul. I had a point and it just eluded me. This um, is where we edit. Yes, it is. Uh, and hang this, on, it's um, this is a village moment. I wouldn't edit that. That's, that's <laughs> normal. Thing. Did he not explain to you how this Joe works? Yeah, Did okay. We're not. Yeah, he's he's right. We're not going to edit this. No, I don't, no, I don't, Randy, I don't, I don't like. I don't want the added work anyway. Come uh, on. He really doesn't. He really doesn't. No, but no, I don't you. want. Did it come back to you? No, it did. It did. It did. Okay. It did. Then let's two go. things. Twigs made note that when we market the village, number one, those those ninety minute timeshare tours don't work anymore. That that just doesn't work. You you can't bring and, and don't get me wrong. I applaud Cooper for what they did, but that that format just doesn't work anymore. You know, I can't I can't give you a dog and pony show for ninety minute tours or two or three days and then have you buy a lot and and move here. It just doesn't work. So it, you know, it's harder to market. I think <clears throat> because marketing is so much easier. You know it's relatively expensive to get to tens of thousands of faces and ears, but to convince them and get them to come here and spend time has obviously been a harder thing. Well, uh, you know, our discovery packages that I think are one of the best things we've ever done are there. We've got a 15% conversion rate in those. Really? Which, which is and, and just because, and, and I know Randy needs this and I know our listeners need this cover the discovery package from ground zero. What are they, John Paul? Well, the discovery package, we just really basically try to break even on. We bring people in and it, it, it can, can be a golf uh, discovery package, or it's amazing to me that we've got probably 40% that aren't even playing golf. They're just hmm. doing other things. They just want to see the place. And they put them up for a couple of days and they give them a $50 voucher for food and uh, uh, either play golf or don't play golf. And they just look at the village for a couple of days, uh, no pressure other than just given the information on the village. And we've got about a 15% conversion rate either to a home or a lot. And wow. that's going to go down now because we don't have <laughs> the, the uh, houses to sell anymore. Yeah, 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 but, yeah. yeah. Uh, I had no idea what was that high, no idea at all. And I, yeah. I want to be, and Randy, let me back up here real quick. We, we did a show the other day, which we're going to air soon about the different golf courses. And we, we kind of touched on some stuff, but one of the things we held out and we kind of excluded, and I didn't know a lot about it was DeMonte, which is where, you know, you've spent some time and know a lot about, tell me the story. What's the difference in the grasses? What's the difference in the course? 
give me the history. So we had Balboa, we had the Woodlands, then we had Magellan, and then Diamante, or Diamante, then Magellan? Um, no, it was Magellan and then Diamante. Magellan was the last village course before Diamante. And remember, I told you that we were doing 360,000 rounds. And at that time, uh, Cooper made a joint venture with Club Corp. And they said, because of this, we need a I'm sorry, company. made a joint venture with who? Club Corp. Oh. Club Corporation of America. Okay. It was a 50-50 partnership. And uh, they built Diamante because they figured they needed a private course to go along with the rest of it because it was hard to get a tea time. You couldn't get a tea time until 2, 2.30 in the afternoon. And they said, well, there's a, a segment of people that don't want to put up with that, having to go through a lottery or tea time, so we'll build a private course. And they did. And um, Diamante worked real well. They sold it out in no time. But then they came back and built Granada and Isabella. And when they built Granada and Isabella, Cooper had always built the courses and given them to the POA. Right. And in that case, they said, we're not going to do that anymore. Uh, we're going we're gonna to just give you, um, we would have spent, I think back then, we, we was, they would have said that we would spend two and a half million dollars on a golf course. And they said, and the POA said at that time, we don't want that. We don't need that. We need a better golf course. They said, well, if you want a better golf course, you spend the difference. So if we wanted to spend, I think, four and a half million on Isabella. So Cooper put in two and a half. We put in two. And they gave us an interest-free loan on that uh, two million to build Isabella. And that's when the first surcharge came on to pay for it. And it was, I think, at $3 around was where it started. It went down to $2 around later on. Um, but they also did the same thing with Granada and Granada was uh, elevated because we knew that we needed an elevated course. And that's how those got built. And they were built with surcharge money and the surcharge money also paid for the renovation of Cortez and the renovation of DeSoto. So the golfers paid for those golf courses. It wasn't taken out of assessment funds at all, but uh, that's how those golf courses got built. And then what happened was, uh, you had that 360,000 rounds was spread out now between eight golf courses rather than the six and eventually eight and a half golf courses. So it, 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 the, the tee times moved back to 1130 or 12. So it all got spread out a little more. And actually, just uh, so you'll know, uh, the POA board at the time they built Granada told Cooper, we don't want another golf course. We don't need another golf course. And they said, sorry, you know, we're going to build it and, and you have to take it. So that's how we got those golf courses. And they would have built nine more holes, but we finally convinced them Isabella was going to be 36. And they finally convinced them, please don't do that. Well, they said, well, we'll build nine and do three lakes instead. And that's how those three lakes out there got built was rather than the other nine hole golf course. I had this no is, idea. This, this is, is why I've been wanting history for you. Yeah, this is why I've been wanting to talk to you for literally for years. Let me ask you: You said an elevated golf course. I know. I don't know that I know what that is. Well, spending four million instead of two million. Oh, oh, okay, okay, okay. And and, then, and what did what did that really buy? I mean, it's a gorgeous course. You couldn't couldn't ask anything better, in my opinion. Well, it's it's a bigger layout. Number one, there's more turf uh, out there. Uh, the, the bunkers that are more bunkers on the golf course, the, the greens were bigger. Uh, the, the irrigation was wall to wall instead of just down the, the fairway and just a little bit into the rough is all wall to wall so that you got grass everywhere. And the car trails were all concrete and they were wider and you just spent money in the places you needed to make the look a lot better. Yeah, I want to. I, I want to see, and I don't know. I'm sure you probably know this. Is Tom Alt still alive? Uh, Eddie Alt, uh, Tom Clark. It was Eddie Alt and Tom Clark. Right. I'm sorry. Yeah. And no, Eddie died years ago. The interesting story there. Tom Clark was the junior partner with Ed Alt. It was Alt Clark later on, but uh, he went. Uh, Tom Clark d designed all the courses except for DeSoto. And Ed all designed DeSoto, but Tom was a uh, pledge, basically. He had just started with the company back then in, uh, when DeSoto was built. And he came and, and did the inspections, but he didn't design it. 
But from Cortez on, uh, Tom designed every one of them. And the beauty of that is they're all different. Every one of those courses is different. Not only are the courses different, the holes are different. You don't see two of the same holes anywhere. And it's and, and when you do it every six or seven years, you see how his style changed as he went along. And yeah, Tom is still alive. Tom's, uh, I think, a year younger than I am, or maybe the same age. And uh, he's still designing courses and still redoing them. As a matter of fact, I was talking to him about the Balboa renovation and, and getting him to look at the, at the plans and maybe make some suggestions on the Balboa renovation. Randy, if you don't know this yet, I'm going to bring you into a couple of details. Number one, people in the village don't look their age. And number two, they never quit working. I don't know if you figured that out yet or not. Yeah, well, that's why I want to come over there, because I want to come over there to work. I don't want to come <laughs> over there and just do nothing. I'm, not, I'm 93, if that helps. <laughs> I don't think that's exactly the number, but I, I hear you talking. I hear you talking. So it's getting closer. <laughs> what are the struggles? And, and I've, I've talked a lot about golf. We've asked a lot of golf questions. What are the struggles of general management? And I know you're an interim at the time and, and, and you're, you're keeping the ship afloat and keeping everybody together. Well, what are the struggles of a POA manager as opposed to golf manager or whatever? Or is it all back to just psychology and people? Priorities. The general manager setting the priorities and, and, and figuring out what fits and what, what should be come to the forefront. Uh, you know, I think the people in my mind moved to the village uh, for the amenities, no, no question about it. But number one is security. And that's why we've focused in on the gates and, and, and uh, tying down the gates and making them uh, more effective. And uh, we still need people here and we don't want to be stupid about it, but we also want to make it as secure as we possibly can. And that's why we're looking at uh, doing things like we've done at the front gate and narrowing the lanes and, and checking people that come in. And we're about to do that with the East gate. And we're even looking at a system of double gate and the other gates so that uh, if, the, if they're unmanned, that uh, we can stop the tailgating coming in. We think that's a big thing that people want in the village. And listening to villagers is another big thing, listening to what the needs and wants are. And I think the biggest thing is taking care of what we got, being secure, and just keeping it as nice as we possibly can because the people move to the village because they like it. They don't need a lot new. They just want to keep it up and keep it the way the way it should be. Well, and let's talk about the gates just for a second. And, and uh, uh, Randy, you alluded to social media a minute ago, which is a valid cause. But uh, there's a lot of people on social media that will holler and scream about when somebody tailgates through or whatever. How many cars and vehicles come and go through the gates every day? Do you know roughly? Uh, it's it's got to be thousands. It is. And of course, the, the main gate at, at the West End is the uh, main traffic. But the it's interesting enough, I don't have the count right in front of me. I wish I had it. But the uh, East Gate and the Balboa Gate are very close to each other. Really? As far as the uh, number of traffic through there. And that's why uh, we've either got to look at man in the Balboa gate again, which it was manned at once upon a time. And, and when we took that down, that was a major ordeal. And that mm -hmm. was not happy with the, the, the village wasn't happy with that, but it was a cost saving measure at the time they had to do. Yeah. Uh, but one of the things we've either need to double gate it to, to protect that gate, which I think with technology now we can do that for a lot less than we can maintaining a uh, mm -hmm. man gate there. And eventually Glazy Poe and Danville and, 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 and the Cortez gate too. We're going to have to look at technology uh, solutions for those. But uh, that is a number one concern and I think it should be. And Randy, when I started coming out here in the 90s, the Balboa gate was the end gate. It was the furthest, it was the easternmost gate of the entire village. They did not have the one that went out on, you know, all the way up to Soto and what we call the East End now. It stopped right there at Ponce. That was it. You know, right. that was that was the furthest gate out that way. And there's how many gates total? Well, the the two main gates. And the, I don't mean public, but just for, for people inside the village. Two main gates, Danville, Cortez, Balboa, and uh, Glazy Puff. I think six. Yes. Does that, does that, are you including the Diamante gate or is that 
But no, uh, that's that's a card gate for for trucks that have a pass to get in. It's a key gate that they yeah. have to have a special key to get in. Yeah, that's a con basically a construction entrance. Right, that's okay. what that boils down to. So, Randy, there's seven, but six you can use with your card is the answer to the question, I believe. Yeah. Well, and I had told Dennis and I had talked the other day, John Paul, that inside because he was kind of updating me on some things and for those of us that visit hope to hope to call it home one day uh, hugely convenient hugely convenient for people uh, that live inside the village as opposed to having to go out just the east or the west and a visitor oh. like me no idea right i mean no idea so there's all these advantages you know, I was fascinated and, and I know I'm not alone. First time that I came, I loved it. I just love the scenery. I love big trees. I like the rolling Hills. Obviously it's vastly different than North central Texas, which was what I was going for. I wanted to drive not too far, but far enough to not see what I normally see. And so it, it was, it was perfect, but you just, you just don't see it takes days and days and days to figure out what where you really are and what really is going on, uh, inside the village. I'm curious other than golf. So when you first came, I mean, were you smitten by, by anything or was it pretty much a golf thing for you? Interestingly enough, one of the things that I noticed was the quality of the roads. Uh, they kept the roads up immaculately back then. And, that's one of the things that I know the frat committee is back on top of and, and wants to get the deferred maintenance on that taken care of because we used to do 30 miles of roads a year, pave, pave 30 miles of roads a year. And that got you through every 15 years on everything. And they want to get back to that. And uh, they're going to try to find the money in places to, to do that very thing. But uh, the roads and culverts, now that they're wearing out over 50 years, uh, those are the big things on the agenda that we've, that we've got to do, plus building maintenance, just taking care of the buildings that we've got. Those are the three major things on the agenda. Were you flattered when you were asked to be the interim GM for the first time, or were you like, oh, no? Um, <laughs> that's, a, that's a really tough question. You've got to get your mind right to do this. I mean, if you're going to do it, do it. And, and that's what I told my wife. I said, if I'm going to do this, I'm not just going to go in there and sit there. Uh, we're going to do what we need to do. So I had to get my mind right to do it. But I'm going to live here for the duration, and, and she's going to live here for the duration. And what I told them when they asked me, I said, you know, the thing about it is I don't have the learning curve that, that the next person that comes in is going to have. It's going to take them a year to a year and a half to get their arms around uh, before they really, because it is not like any place you've ever been. And until you realize that, uh, you know, I think we had a group at one time that wanted to change things a little bit and the people here are going to resist that. They like it the way it is and uh, just keep it nice. And that's what we're going to try to do. Yeah. We, we had a guy this last week on, again, on social media, he said <clears throat> he was aggravated with a piece of property that Cooper had sold that was reserved. And he said, that's not right. It's in the city. And I'm like, no, no, I don't think you understand, you know, and your point's well taken, John Paul, even the person at the head of the helm here in the village, it's going to take them months to a year to grasp the fact it's a large corporation. You know, it's a nonprofit effectively corporation, I'm assuming. And, and, but it's not like any other city you've ever been in. It's not a city. It's, we don't have laws. We have rules. We don't, I mean, I go down the list. But it's a hybrid of everything. And, and Randy, I want to make note, if I've never said this to you, and particularly to our, our listening audience. And John Paul, I want to come back in just a moment. You've referenced twice the, the committee that we have for funding. This podcast is international, and there are people literally around the world listening to this. I want you to talk about that in just a minute, explain what that is. But, but in the interim, what I wanted to go back was, is, is that as a, as a corporation, we have rules, not laws, and we're a unique entity. And every year, every year, and appropriately so, a member of a law firm stands up in front of the board, newly signed, sworn in board of directors, and says, you have no peers. There's not another organization like this on the earth. And, and I, I, see, I see the look in their eyes, and they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
No, you don't get it. There really is not another POA in the world this large with this many square miles, with this observation, with, with this many access. Uh, and it just takes some getting used to, I know. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, absolutely. There's no question about it. And, and you're right. We, we do have rules. We have laws, too, that the, the police, the, the city or the village doesn't have laws, but they enforce county laws and state laws. And that's the, the rub that a lot of people don't understand is the police can't get involved with a lot of that. And one of the reasons we moved the gate uh, security from the police department to the compliance department, because it is a rules thing rather than a law thing. And the compliance department can deal with rules where the where the police only deals with laws. And so that was one of the reasons that we did that. Well, and, and here, and Randy, this is an issue that we need to discuss, but the bottom line is when the policeman tells you the rule for the POA, he's the policeman. So you think this is a law, but it's a rule. And that, I know, am I splitting hairs, John Paul, or is that a valid point? No, you're right. You're right. And, they and, and so, so just, far in enforcing them. Yeah, just because it's a, it's a policeman telling you that, you think, well, it must be the law. Well, no, kind of. Yeah. So I, I, I'm really, I'm glad we cleared that up. And frankly, to me, by the way, I think the gates are run magnificently. That's a hard job with tens of thousands of vehicles coming through there every day. I get it. Yeah. Uh, they're Randy, getting better. They're getting better all the time. They really are. They really are. Two, two things I wanted to know. You mentioned the Gazy Poe gate a minute ago. Uh, and Randy, I think personally, and, and I, John Paul, love your input on this too. I think the Gazy Po gate may be one of the busiest gates in the next few, in the next year or so. When the bypass is finished, when we've got all that straightened up, that's going to be a quick shot to Hot Springs. Yeah, as a matter of fact, you're, you're exactly right. And, and we're looking at, in that area too. We're targeting neighborhoods for future development. We think that's going to be a, a, a hot spot over there because you're exactly right. When the bypass gets in, that's going to be the first gate you come to. And for commuters or people that are working in hot springs or going that way, there's no question in my mind, that'll be a hot area. Well, and, and Brandy, <coughs> there, there's areas like Pyrenees and I think it's Cadiz and some others like, like that that they are basically vacant. And because that little end of the village, it, it's a okay way to get in and out. But when they finish that bypass, you're two and a half miles from the, the bypass or five miles from the bypass. It's going to change a lot of things. And the it bypass really and the bypass will, will shave off. Like what kind of a time are we talking about? John Cooksey, who's been doing this, uh, <clears throat> these video flyovers says that from the village to, to downtown hot springs are right at 38 minutes. He says it's going to cut it to right at 20. So I don't know where he's getting those numbers, but I will tell you, you're, you're going to go down to the corner of five and seven, which that's basically how you get out of the village. And then you're going to drive three miles or 3.5 miles over to the bypass and you're in hot springs. You could be at Oaklawn or anything out on the bypass in another eight minutes. Significant. Uh, oh, it's, it's going to be huge. It is. It, it really is. It's going to be huge. When did you uh, referee your last <clears throat> basketball game? 92. 92. 92. I can tell you the last foul I called. <laughs> Not really. Well, I, I didn't. I didn't know this. I didn't know this about you, but I did stay up late last night. As we're hitting the record button, it's the day after the NBA Finals, and oh, that's right. I, I can't remember the name of this official. You know, who's kind of mixed it up with Chris Paul, <clears throat> with Phoenix, who refereed last night's game. Anyway, that that the TV showed. Chris Paul and this referee talking before the game, you know, this lengthy conversation. And of course the announcers were, were wondering what that conversation might be, might be like, I'm, I'm curious, I'm curious your very best story of your officiating. Well, some of them, I can't tell you. Yeah, I know that <laughs> your very well, best PG probably. 13 story, your very best PG 13 story. Oh, I guess probably the, the, the best, uh, it didn't happen to me, but the, but the best referee story was, was Abe Lemons. If you remember who Abe Lemons was, he was the coach of Oklahoma city university and later university of Texas. And, uh, he, uh, got mad official one night and ran out on the court and they, uh, he, he looked around, he didn't realize he had done it. He'd gotten all the way out on the court. And he said, oh, don't give me a T, don't give me a T. He said, I, I've lost my head. I didn't run out there. And the referee told him, he said, I'm not going to give you a T for running out here, but I'm going to give you one for every step it takes you to get off the court. <laughs> so he called his kids and had him come out and carry him off the floor. <laughs> 
That's a great. Now idea. that's a great story. That's it a is. great story. It is smart. I'm not going to give you a technical, but for every step it takes to get you off here, we're going to, right? Yeah. Smart. Well, let me get us back on track just for a second. Tell me about the task force. Tell me who put this together. Tell me what we really need to do there. What's this all about? To somebody who literally is in Scandinavia, who's never heard this story. What is it? Well, the task force was put together to look at uh, our backlog of deferred maintenance. And not only that, but to prioritize our expenses. They looked at the last, uh, they looked at a seven-year OEM budget, looking at the uh, what is going to be needed for the next seven years and prioritize it between needs, wants, and maybes, and to, to zero in on what we have to have. And the, the committee has done a wonderful job. I cannot tell you the number of hours that they put into this, looking at 1,800 line <laughs> items on the budget and, and analyzing everything. And uh, they've had these uh, committee uh, briefings with the public and showed them what they're looking at and, and showed them all the different ideas that they've got about not only prioritizing the expenses, but how to raise the revenue for the future. And, and they've got what they call a red blob out there of the difference between what we bring in and what we really need to spend in order to keep it up. We were talking about the 30 miles of roads a year and 20 to 40 culverts a year and building maintenance and air conditioners and vehicles and, and everything and trying to come up with the $6 million deficit that they project out there that we're going to have that of the stuff that we really need to do and, and the revenue we need to, to, to take. And, and that's what they're looking at. And they're going to have an all-day session with the board tomorrow. And uh, they're very close to coming out with their priorities and their recommendations on as far as uh, where to raise revenue and, and what to do with expenses. And I think they'll be rolling that out in the next 30 days. And so we'll have an idea of where they're going. And Randy, let me make an observation here. Some of these guys that are on the board, I don't know them all. Uh, the ones I've seen and the ones I've heard, these are some of the sharpest people I've seen. They're on it. Is that fair? Oh, more than fair. And they are very sharp. Uh, you've got a three-star general on the uh, uh, committee, and you've also got a guy that ran uh, uh, hundreds of million dollar budget in California uh, that is sharp as anybody I've ever been around. Plus marketing people on the committee and regular villagers that uh, have expertise on there too. It's quite a committee. Well, and I wanted to bring up something else. Keith Keck brought this up, who I had I have immense respect for. He was a former chair of the, I mean, a chair of the board and and many other things. He's still a, a uh, what is it, justice of the peace, I think, in Saline County. Right. Uh, there, there is a, there's a common misconception, and I want to go ahead and address this. There's there are many common misconceptions in the village by what I would consider the laity. And that is, is that, well, we can just tighten this buckle a little more and we can save some earnings here and save some earnings here and save some earnings here. And I think Keith's exact quote yesterday was, we can do all those things and it won't even make a blip. It, it, th there has to be more income, period. That's as simple as it gets. Uh, as a guy who owns a lot of lots, I'm not in a hurry to pay more, but at the same time, the bottom line is it, it does require more funding. There's not a question about that. Well, I try to break things down to the simplest common denominator for me to, to think about it. And if you just take this simple equation, if you take the $12 a month that the village started with as an assessment in 1970, it was $12 a month, and just apply the cost of living to that to today, you're right at $100 to $105 a month. And that would be for every lot, not a two-tier lot. So you can see how far behind the eight ball you were. And Cooper will admit that one of the things they probably should have done when they put the village together was a, was planned for a cost of living adjustment each year. And if we'd had that, we'd be up around $100 uh, and, and we wouldn't be having the funding problem we have. But we've got to get there. I'm not saying we need $100, believe me, but uh, we do need more money. And how we get there is going to be a recommendation from them. And then the board will decide on the next approach. Yeah. Randy, do you have any other questions? I think you. Probably... I'm just. I watched all of the task force presentations. In fact, I, I know I watched them before Dennis. I think saw his first one because I, it's just 
as a hopeless insomniac. It's what I would do. It's what I would do at night. And because you think I, you'd think watching a task force like that would put you back to sleep. No, Randy. no, listen, I, I was, I was very favorably impressed with just how sharp and, and brilliant uh, these, these folks are. And I know the kind of hours that they put in, you know, to the work. What is that? What does that process look like, John Paul? So if they, they come to the board and they, they have their recommendations, then what happens? Well, I think it's kind of going to be a joint effort of what they've come up with and what the board feels like the, the public can stand and uh, get together on those recommendations. And then the board will come out with, uh, with a plan for the future as far as what the, where we'll raise revenue and where we'll, <clears throat> we'll cut expenses, where we may, well, I think one of their ideas was to sell naming rights to the Woodlands Auditorium or things like that. I mean, they're all kinds, it, there's tremendous number of ideas in there. So they'll come up with a total package of recommendations and we'll hear that coming up in the next probably two to, two to three weeks. When and do you so think we're going to be able to lay you off? That's one of my exciting things. When are we sending you home? Again. Oh, we don't know. We don't know. I'm, I'm here for, I'm here for a little while. We know that. Okay. Okay. I don't know what that little while is. Well, and we're in July of 2020, right? 2021 right now. So I just, for the, for the listening public, John Paul, where do you see things going? How, how do you see this? I mean, let's face it, a 50 year experiment that has been a fantastic success in my book. Is that fair? Yeah, it, it, it is fair. And uh, well, I, like I told uh, Randy before you got on there earlier, I said, you know, as far as marketing goes, the big cities are doing that for us right now. <laughs> they're, they're, they're running people this way. So if they can keep that up, we'll be okay. <laughs> but no, I, I've, I've, we need to do neighborhoods. We need more. We need more roofs in the village. We need to be building two to 300 homes a year. And I think we can do that. Uh, that's that's going to be one of the things we need to do. We need to have a lot strategy for taking back lots and 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 moving forward. We need a, a, a strong lot strategy, and then we need a little more money, and we need to prioritize our expenses properly. And that that's where we need to be going. Great, Randy. Do you have the wrap it up questions? Because I love these. I think this is the fun part of the show. Uh, no, but give me half a second, and I will. I'll. We I'll, have. Uh, we, we have a little pop-up that yeah, we have a little pop-up we give you and it's going to be really hard it's like margarine or butter that kind of stuff you know it's going to be the really tough stuff now, i'm not not giving it away am i randy no 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 okay. these are the, the these are these are these are easy and fun although it's going to be really difficult i got news for you it's going to be really difficult for us to top the uh to top the the uh the referee brain, story. I went, I went brain dead. Yeah. The referee story. It's gonna <laughs> that be, is a great referee story. It's going to be really, really That's a world-class referee story tough to beat that. So let me pull, let me pull this up. All right. These are, uh, these are real quick and, and painless. Okay. This is our lightning round hiking, boating, boating, golf, or tennis golf hamburger or taco hamburger guitar or piano. Well, I have to say guitar. I play it. Excellent. Excellent. I knew I liked you. Spring or fall? Toss up. <laughs> Comedy or mystery? Comedy. East or west? You know, my whole life <laughs> I would have said west, but when I worked to work for Hale, I went east. I'm still going to say west. Okay. Appetizer or dessert? Dessert. Dress, dress or casual? Casual. Summer or winter Olympics? Winter Olympics. Stripes or plaids? Stripes. The referee's showing. What? <laughs> there you go. What movie have you seen or what movie do you love more than any other? Saw it the other night. Fair to remember. I watched it the other night. I don't think there's a better movie in the world than that. I, you broke up on me. What was it? An affair to remember. An affair yeah, to remember. There you go. I just right. saw it night before last. What a great movie. Yeah, that's awesome. All right. Who's and, your favorite? Candy Shack on the other side of that. So we'll <laughs> yeah, go both there you both. go. <laughs> now you're talking. Who's your favorite band or singer? Wow. Uh, mm. The Eagles right now. The Eagles. There you go. They're, 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 they're still on tour, man. Still yeah, on I've tour. I've got a follow-up Randy, I've got a follow-up question. Okay. Go ahead. The shack or the home plate? 
I got they're you. Both, they're both. They're both. I'm going 50 50. Okay. Okay. I don't know. All right. We can't, we can't hang up. I got to hear about the guitar. I, I, I have owned a guitar, John Paul. I've got a guitar 12 feet from me. I have owned guitars for over 50 years. I don't know how to play. They're just like a muse. <laughs> like most of us. I love, I love listening to, to good guitarists, but I just, I find, I realized what I was in love with was, was not learning how to play. I was just in love with the guitar, but not in love with it enough to want to learn how to play. So how long have you been playing? Well, it's an interesting question. The reason I took up guitars is when I, when I grew up, you wouldn't dare be caught in a band. You, you just, right. you, weren't, you weren't in the, I'm talking about high uh, junior high band, the, right? but a guitar was a different animal. When the Beatles came out, it became cool. And, and that was my era. So it became cool. I started playing when I was probably 12. And then quit when I was in high school, uh, when I got out of high school, never touched it again for 35 years. Really? And then we started this band uh, in 2007 uh, in the village. And then it's kind of grown into an 11 piece band now that we, that we play around. And uh, so I learned, I've remembered more about the guitar than I thought I did. But I told my partner in the band, who's our lead singer, I told him, as long as I'm the worst one in the band, we're going to be okay. <laughs> And what, and what kind of stuff do you guys play? We play sixties and seventies stuff. Is, is this Colt in the old 45 Colt in the old 45. Oh yeah. my God. I didn't know that. I, it just shows how oblivious I am. Yeah. He and I started the band in 2007 and it's grown, it's grown into this. So again, well, it keeps you out of the pool hall, right? It does. Absolutely. That's awesome. Well, and I'm sure the interim GM job has put a kink in your, uh, in your practice. Oh yeah. yeah. I don't, I don't practice much. <laughs> yeah. I, I still have calluses, but we don't get there too much. It's been great. It's been great having you. Are we ready to wrap this up gentlemen? Cause we've, we've kept this man far too long, but man, we can't, we appreciate it very much. We enjoyed uh, it. Thank you. We, we've been much. trying to, we've been trying to make this happen and through technical snafus and Dennis kind of falling under the weather, but we're glad, glad that we made it happen. You got any parting shots, Dennis, or are we ready to wrap this up? I, I just sincerely want to thank, I, I, John Paul will say this, John Paul, how many employees are there in the POA? 450 right at it, but 450 time and part-time. And when a lot of times when I hear people uh, speak ill of the POA or whatever, I think if they could just understand that there are 450 people who are dedicated and work hard and frankly, take abuse for the job they do. And, and John Paul is one of hundreds that I could say, Thank you, John Paul, for your service, because it ain't for the money that you're doing this right now. I know I have it on good authority. This is not for the money. Well, I appreciate that, but we love Wilson. the place and we'll keep it nice. Well, and we appreciate you. Thanks so much, John Paul, for joining us. For Dennis Simpson and Randy Contrell, this is Hot Springs Village Inside Out. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hot Springs Village Inside Out, a podcast where Hot Springs Village, Arkansas is the star. Please subscribe to the podcast. You can do that by visiting our website, hsvinsideout.com, and tell a friend.